Hey guys, this is Keir from RugbyStrengthCoach.com. Welcome to episode number 14 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast, back after a little bit of a break. In today's episode, we are joined by Strength Coach Ryan Williams from the USA. Thanks very much for um, being on the podcast, Ryan. Hey Keir, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Dude, I've um, been a big fan of your stuff for uh, quite a while and... um, you know, people who followed me on on the website or on social media for for quite a while will know that I've um, been a big fan of your uh, your your ebook that you wrote with with Buddy Morris a couple of years ago for um, physical preparation for American football. And I I do remember speaking to you two years ago saying, "Oh, I need to do to uh, write a review of that book." And it's two years later, and I've still not done it. So my apologies <laughs> to you. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I can remember uh, you tweeted something about. Um a Buddy Morris, I think you might have linked like a video or an article or something like that that I had done, and I said, hey, do you know he has an ebook out? And you didn't even know, and then about five minutes later, you had bought it and uh, tweeted it on your um, account and uh, had this huge influx in sales in about 10 minutes. It was crazy. I was like, man, I need to talk to this guy more. He can help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who've not heard of you or heard about the book, can you kind of introduce yourself to the audience and and kind of talk about your journey as a strength coach and and how you got to where you're at right now sure sure so i was thinking about this earlier today and last night and i guess really the first time i was introduced to any type of like weight training anything was back when i was like 12 years old my dad bought me one of those joe wider um sandfield weight benches yeah it was down in my um my parents cellar i won't even call it a basement it's a straight up cellar it looks like a dungeon when you go down there (laughs) so me and one of my good friends when we were 12 went down there my dad told me he wouldn't buy me any more weight until i could bench press it so me being a gung-ho 12 year old went down there and loaded the bar up with all the weights i think it was probably about 105 110 pounds and not knowing anything, it was set on like two or three inclines up, I guess you could say. I'm not really sure what the what it would have been on like a normal bench and everything like that. So I went ahead and threw it on there and tried to bench press it and I could do it. So that was the <laughs> so I then I called my dad right away at work or something like that. I was like, Hey, I did it and I got a witness, so you gotta buy me more weight. <laughs> so, so that's kinda how I started and then um when I was younger, I played I played pretty much every sport, football, basketball, baseball, ran track, played soccer even, too, when I was younger. So as most people are led to believe now, you know, the multilateral development that is by far optimal for anybody trying to um, train to get to the highest level of performance for any specific sport. When you're younger, you guys start out, and like, I did it all, and... Nine years of playing football and playing in collegiate, I hardly, I think the worst injury I had was a rolled ankle where I was out for three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to think that playing all those sports when I was younger definitely helped because I had quite a bit of, you know, just diverse backgrounding. So, so when I was 14, I think we finally got internet. And I stumbled upon some deep squatter websites and Westside Barbell and then yep. <laughs> kind of just kind of elite FTS, you know, probably how a lot of people get started out. I bought the first book I ever bought was Science of Sports Training by Thomas Kurz. Then I bought um, Explosive Jumping and Power Ability for All Sports by, I can't pronounce their two names. Um, you know which book I'm talking about, though? Yeah, I know the one. <laughs> yeah, so those are the first two books I read, and then kind of just started making my own workouts, made workout manuals for, like, my football team. Actually, when I was a senior in high school for basketball, we I had a dynamic warm-up that I came up with, and we used it before every practice and before every game, and, you know, our team went 22-1 and that year or something like that, so I attributed it to the fact that, like, you know, this dynamic warm-up so much better than doing all the static stretching <laughs> that I did when I was younger before stuff. And everybody always said they felt so much better, you know, after the dynamic warm-ups. So when I was in college, my freshman year, um, I did like a very small research thing for actually like an English class or something like that about, you know, dynamic versus static stretching. And so that was one thing. And then 
obviously in um, high school, or I'm sorry, in college, I went for exercise science, physiology, whatever you want to call it. I think when I graduated, they changed it to exercise biology. It's all the same freaking thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, um, so yeah, that's pretty much the kind of the lineage when I was younger. Obviously, football was my main sport. So my senior year of high school during basketball season is when I really started turning it on to where I was working out three to four times a week in terms of weights and jumping and everything like that during basketball season because I was 17 years old and had, who knows, probably 700 nanograms per deciliter of testosterone flowing through my veins. <laughs> I was able to recover and eat whatever the heck I wanted and then wake up the next morning and find a new muscle I'd never seen. So, um, so yeah, I really got into it then. Like I said, I was big on... West side, I box squatted eight sets to three, ten sets to two, all that stuff, and it helped my vertical. At five nine, five ten, I could dunk. So I oh, attributed wow. all this, all this stuff to you know the strength training, and you know made my power clean go up, you know a ton without even doing power clean. So you know there's a lot of the you know what people would call noob gains and everything like that because I never really had like a structured or strategic program but um once i got into college i kept at it bought more and more books interacted with um, a lot of people online mainly um james smith asked i don't know how many questions i asked him on elite fts during his time as a thinker i'd say easily a hundred if yeah, you read me too if you read yeah if you read questions on there you probably saw ryan w on there i don't know how many times um i tracked him down on i think it's some sort of iron radio or something like that, and the one I submitted a question. I was probably the only person that submitted a question. He answered it. Um, I'm trying to think what else, but yeah. So how I got really into it is I started um, just hanging around our weight room, talked to our strength and conditioning coach, really talked to our head football coach, where I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but what a lot of people will call program management. Or um, I don't know what other buzzwords people are calling it now. You know, director of whatever sport operations, kind of like what Eric Corum is doing now at the University of Kentucky. Or from what I understand, yeah. what James, what James has tried to do in the past overseas with rugby. What I assume you were trying to do with your team in Argentina and everything like that. We try, but um, <laughs> right, right, exactly. So I kind of gave him this idea, and again, I didn't know what to call it because I that question. Why I brought up that question with James is that question was: Do you ever see a scenario where an individual could be both the football coach and head of strength and conditioning? Because I'm thinking like high school level, man, would I love to like be in charge of both those things and kind of mesh it together? Yeah. I didn't really know what to call it and really know what to do with it because I was like. I think 20 or 21 years old at the time. So I kept studying, kept talking to James, reading all the Verkashansky texts, reading a lot of Charlie Francis, um, Dan Path, all those guys, Vladimir Isarin, you know, pretty much everything, anything and everything I can get my hands on. Um, and so eventually, our strength coach that was at Waynesburg needed a lot of help because of the way that everything was set up like he was him against 120 people and our weight room was not it was it definitely could get the job done mm -hmm. but excuse me he had such a different view because he was used to wrestling and he did not know how to train for football he had no idea how to do the speed training and he straight up asked me like what would you do so we kind of sat down and shot ideas at each other and finally came out with a pretty good program at least in both of our eyes that we implemented and that would have been 2011 the um, January of 2011 that we started putting that into play so come July late July of 2011 he left um, for another job and we did not have a strength and conditioning coach so when I'm 21 just turned 21 years old still playing football and still going to school um, my head coach asked me if I wanted to be the strength and conditioning coach for our football team. Wow. And being gung-ho again and young and having a lot of energy, I was like, yeah, absolutely. There's n and they, you know, they said they would you know, give me a little money, all this stuff. So I was like, ah, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm in. You got me sold. <laughs> so, so, yeah, um, I, I wrote the whole 
summer program, sent out all these manuals. Um, so then once we got back to camp, I was in charge of, we pretty much did a program management style. Let me tell you, it was an interesting, um, you know, experience and situation because I was talking to our head coach daily um, about, you know, practices, what we thought we should do, how the team sees fatigue wise and what's, and then I have, but then I have to look at it. The flip side is I'm dealing it with that fatigue myself. So it's hard to be objective. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, that was quite the experience and really made me grow as a coach or a, you know, like a manager of any type of sport. So we got through the season and I mean, it I think it went really well. We lost by a total, we lost five games by a total of 13 points, which in American football is like nothing. That comes down to like a play a game, essentially. We had a terrible special teams that year, and we did not make a field goal the entire year, and we had like five or six punts blocked. So essentially, it was was our tactics um, that really kind of sunk us for the year. It wasn't anything, you know, physiological or, um, you know, we, we were there. I mean, it was unreal to watch some of our guys play from, you know, the preparation we had had that year. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I did that my entire senior year, which would have been from 2011 to 2012. Still going to school. The fall, I was playing. And then the spring, they officially asked me to stay on the following year and um, go to school, go back to school there for graduate school. Um, so I went ahead and obviously agreed to that because it was a it was a job right out of college and you know, not too many people get offered that. They they um, don't at all. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, it, you know, I'll tell you more about everything, but after, yeah, I, I know those struggles too. So, um, yeah, so we kind of ran with that, and in the spring of 2012, I you know, the spring and winter 2012. We ran with the program, and you know I had full autonomy essentially over the physical preparation, um, and um, kind of uh, got everything rolling with how I wanted it to go. Got the guys to buy into you know some auto regulation stuff was one of the big things that we did. You know, all, a lot of those guys are so used to killing themselves every time they step foot in the weight room and everything like that, right? You know, I'm sure yeah. you have some of those guys, oh, which yeah. is great. I would much rather deal with one. I would much rather demotivate or pull the chains back a little bit on somebody than have to, you know, kick them in the ass to get going. So, Always, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so everything was going great. You know, summer, sent out, so that is actually um, when I first started with the book, I guess you could say. The spring, probably March or April of 2012, I sat down and really started working on like a like a text to put together for my guys mainly. Um, that you know they all said, oh, "I wish I had a book. Wish I had a book that I could just reference. I didn't have to text or call you all the time. I want to I want to like learn this stuff myself." So I said, "That's freaking awesome! Like I'll, I'll sit down and motor this thing out as quickly as I can." So I kind of put it together at first to just be for my guys. Um, put all their programs in there, put percentage sheets, just, you know, and all something that could be all inclusive for them to go home over the summer because in division three football, you do not have any access to them in the summer. So okay. you're at, you're at the mercy of what your guys are going to do. So you have to build as much rapport and trust with them as you can to get them. You know, I would send out an email. I'd want them to email me as much as they would text, call me, whatever, um, so that they, you know, would just tell me, Hey, I'm doing something. Like if I got a text, like, Hey, does I had some guys send me a picture of like a hill. Hey, is this hill <laughs> enough to do for hill sprints? And I was like, that's awesome that you're actually sending me a picture of the hill to make sure it's a, a proper hill to, to use for our hill sprints. Cause you know, they under, they understood the fact that like, if you run straight up a, a steep slant, that is not, <laughs> getting the result that we want. We want a slight incline, everything like that. So, yeah. um, so yeah. So fast forward, the summer went great. I get back to camp and buddy at the time was on freak strength with Mike Guadango. Yeah. Uh, and he was answering some questions. And so our coach wanted a, a conditioning test to see, cause we were all about like accountability and everything like that. We wanted to make sure our guys 
did the stuff they were supposed to do over the summer. So he's like, come up with a conditioning test for me. And obviously, I think 300-yard shuttles, 110s, mile runs, whatever else people do is awful and worthless, essentially, for a conditioning test. All you're doing is destroying mitochondria and fatiguing the athlete in the acute and in the long term, it does not. No speed endurance is needed in football. I'm sure, we both agree on that. Absolutely. So, um, so I kind of sat down, put my thinking cap on, and came up with a with a combination of short acceleration sprints and tempo runs. To you know, I just wanted essentially you just look at the bioenergetics. I wanted to see the guys use their alactic capacity and their aerobic capacity. So the alactic capacity came from. Pretty much, um, you know, the linemen would sprint 10 yards. My combo guys, which is like a linebacker, a tight end, some running backs, um, the, pretty much those positions would um, run 20 yards. Any of my skill guys, my wide receivers, my corners, everything like that would run 30. And then on the flip side, and they would have a short rest anywhere from, we. I think we did, I think we, we would, Switch it up because you never know what the play clock is going to be. In American football, you can have a, a team that goes and gets the ball off like Oregon would and try and do it between 10 15 seconds. Or you could have a team like Alabama before <laughs> Lane Kiffin came down there. Um, I don't know how much you follow American football, but um, he's got a whole different set of tactics than what they used to. So he would come down and, um, you know, before that they would have anywhere from 30 to 40 seconds before they would snap the ball. So, you know, we just kind of wanted to vary it to get our guys ready for, okay, boom, we're right back on the ball, you're going, or, hey, you're going to recover a little more, this is going to be a higher output. So we did that, and then we did the tempo runs in it with it, gave them five minutes rest, and then they would do, like, medium tempo runs. But in my mind, most football guys don't need to worry about, you know, the Charlie Francis 100-yard, 200-yard tempos. They're never going to run that far in any type of – with the exception of a big play where they have to run 80 yards and they're jogging down to set up for a two-point conversion or the extra point, yeah. they're never going to run over you know, linemen. We did 40 yards. Realistically, a big play, they got to jog down to get to the huddle. 40 yards is about how the tempo run would be. Mm-hmm. Combo guys would be 50 because they might have to cover somebody. Tight ends are running around, stuff like that. And then the skill guys, 60, because they might have to run a long way if it's a long pass play or anything like that. So we kind of meshed those together, and so um, going back to Buddy on freak strength, he I asked him about this because I had I didn't have any contact with him. He had been coming back on elite, and he like went in hiding for a little bit, and yeah. you know how Buddy is like where like where's Waldo? Depending on what what's going on in his life, you never you can never get, you can get a hold of him super easy, and then he disappears off the face of the earth. So. Um, I got a hold of him on there, and he per- he personally emailed me back and said, "Hey, where did you come up with that conditioning test? That's awesome." He's like, um, and "I said, well, you know, I just kind of thought about the bioenergetics, biodynamics, and biomotor abilities needed for football and for all these positions. Just broke it down, and we ran with it." So at the time, he was um, running a gym. Well, not really run. He was training people out of a gym in Pittsburgh. So he asked me to come up to his gym in Pittsburgh. So I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. And he said, hey, do you have a book or anything with you? If you do, or like a manual or something like that, if you do, bring it up, please. So I was like, as a matter of fact, I do. Because um, <laughs> I printed out a hundred and however many copies, you know, all my guys and everything like that. So I took one up, go to this gym, and it is like Meathead Central Gym, like, just mecca, like 10 benches, 10 squat racks, ACDCs blaring in the background. See some guy stroke like 600 pounds raw for bench. It was insane. Buddy's training a couple NFL guys. It was like I was just like in my, you know, <laughs> in my own little Like Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was awesome. It's exactly where you wanted to be. So we got to talking. And what, what what was crazy is the one guy that he was training, um, I can't think, of, his last name was Rizzo, but I had known his brother from Pitt, Frank Rizzo, who's now a track and field coach at Syracuse. Um, and we came into contact, I guess I'll back up real quick. I was supposed to intern at Pitt in 
2010, but right before I, I was literally starting the next day on my winter break, uh, Dave Wanstead got fired, and then the whole staff got let go. So I never got to intern at Pitt. But I'd gone up there a few times, met with James, talked with James quite a bit, and met with Buddy, talked with him a little bit. But then Frank Rizzo, um, I had met and stayed in contact with, and he actually he came down at one point and done some free lap testing for me with some of my guys. So, so yeah, so he's there, and everybody gets to talk, and I show Buddy this manual, and he goes, hey, you want to write a book? And I'm, again, I'm 22 at the time or something like that, and I'm like, well, yeah, absolutely. Let's get it rolling. So that is kind of how the book started and all. Um, I got back, got behind my computer. It probably took me about three or four weeks to expand it into more, you know, in-depth and more knowledge in the literature part. Because if most people that are familiar with it would know that the first part is pretty much all the theoretical and, um, you know, literature that goes behind like the programming and then the second that's an awesome section because i think what a lot of people struggle with and i definitely did is with the eastern soviet kind of stuff it's incredibly dry and it's often translated from russian to another language then to english and um to to understand that in the real world is is quite difficult sometimes exactly yeah and that's what i aim to do is like you know i've talked to a lot of those people you know I went to Central Virginia, sat down with Natalie Vergashansi, talked to her, talked with Valen Sedkin, and you know, on and on and on and on and on, all these people, and then you know, even met with people who had also talked with them. There's a guy named Ryan Bracious. He is a strength and conditioning coach at the University of Wisconsin Whitewater, which is the perennial um, national football or national championship football team for Division Three, and talked a lot with him he had traveled on talked to all these guys and kind of understand some of the translations and obviously talking with james and you know all these people that knew the language better than me and you know so forth and everything like that and i kind of just finally all clicked and you're like oh well, this is what they're meaning okay this makes sense so that's what that first part of it was was just you know get some taxonomy and you know methodologies and all that stuff like that just some definitions and the second part was obviously the programming, and that was pretty much my 12-week programming. You know, I use the term blocks, but it's not really block training, as most people would understand. You know, the difference between there's the block training system, which is what um, blo- Natalie Verkashansky and um, Yuri Verkashansky do. There's a conjugate sequencing system, which is, again, Verkashansky, but that is the unidirectional high intensity, high volume training. And then there's block periodization, which is Vladimir Isarin, where you have um, several key modes that you are trying to develop, whether albeit aerobic endurance, maximal strength, whatever, and you know which ones complement each other and, and everything like that. So there's like all those separate ones. I just use the term block because it's what I had grown up, or not grown up with, but had been taught with and I told my guys, and then you know, all the time, everybody knows this, you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants and learning all this stuff because all this information moves so quickly, and that's just what I've been telling them and using, so I just kept it. <laughs> yes. So, right. So that's just the, you know, that's what the programming was. So I got that done, and I want to say I probably had it done in November of 2012, and so I was waiting on an editor, and... Um, took forever he was busy i was busy so the book really didn't get done finally i actually got a hold of james and he went ahead and edited the book and we released that in i believe it was september of 2013 so that's when the ebook on elite ftfs was finally ready so actually right over right after um that time would have been oh November or December of 2013, I got in contact with Joel, and he talked about wanting to do a video course and doing a print book because he's Joel. Joel has you know two of his print books, um, the BioForce one and then the Ultimate MMA Conditioning ones that are both very successful. And he, you know, a lot of people you go back and forth with you know the ebook versus book debate, and I think there's obviously pros and cons and preferences to each of them, but 
realistically, most people would prefer to have a physical book in their hands where they can highlight it and leaf through it and carry it on their person. And there's just something different about having an actual book versus, you know, it being on a computer screen or your tablet or your iPhone or whatever. So, yeah. so he asked me if I if we wanted to do like another book and everything like that and turn it into a print book. So finally, in May, again, I ran out, I re-edited the book, put some more programs in it, changed a little bit of the texts and literature, kind of updated it to include, you know, what was going on with Buddy. Of course, during this time, Buddy goes out to Buffalo for like six weeks or something like that. And then he turns yeah. around and gets um, the job with the Cardinals in March. Well, so I'm asking, hey, send me some new stuff. Send me some new stuff. Let me put this in the book, which if... Um, those I don't know how many people listening would have already purchased the um, new print book. There are additional programs from Buddy, both um, his updated GPP program that was famous back from when he was at the Browns all the way back in like 2003 or something like that. We re-released it. I actually had like the original manual that was like a little paper book. It looked like a I don't even know, like a little leaflet or something I, like that. I tried I to buy that, but it was um, it went out of print by the time I got around to uh, yeah to putting up the money for it. Right, right, yeah. I had one of those that I bought probably back in two thousand eight or something like that, and so I just copied it from um, my of course with permission of Buddy, um, <laughs> copied it from the print and made it into a PDF, and then we put it on Elite FTS. So. It's up. It's still up there. I know a lot of people still reference it and everything like that. But he had an updated version from you know another ten years of research and practice and everything like that. So so we put that in there. We put a hypertrophy program for football in there, and then another football program, um, like a NFL draft program, are all in there that are updated. So a lot of people will probably be pretty interested to see some of Buddy's new thoughts and programming and all that good stuff so anyway so yeah so he's out there doing that and then finally may of 2014 get a call from joel and he wants to go out to arizona for a weekend to shoot all this stuff so i actually had gone back to school and um like i told you before we got on there looking into some more um allied health stuff with medical school and um physician's assistant school, PT school, a lot of the, anything like that kind of trying to make up my mind. So I needed a few um, undergrad classes. I had to take genetics, physics, calculus, and organic chemistry. So I was actually in school at the time taking all these classes. And of course, the weekend that he wanted me to go out to Arizona was the week, weekend before finals. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yep. Uh, let's get it done. So I, you know, I had actually never flown before. I, believe it or not, at the age really? of twenty. Wow. Yep, I had never flown before. When I was younger, I just we always drove everywhere because that's how my grandpa was, and I just kind of rolled with it. So I go buy an, air, an airplane ticket, get a hotel, fly out to Phoenix or Tempe, I guess it technically is, um, and we go ahead and shoot that um, BioForce project with Joel. And if if I am going to recommend any product I have out right now, that is going to be the most, um, you know, the, that and the book complement each other because you get to see the full programming from um, Ironworks preparation. But that video course is absolute gold because you get to see Buddy coach me through literally every component of a physical preparation program that I could think of. You awesome. get you get anywhere from heart rate and circulation increase stuff just to get your blood flowing, which most people do at the right at the beginning of their uh, workout. You get self-myofascial release with the foam rolling um, and some mobility work for like the thoracic region, your shoulders, everything like that. You get um, some of the oscillation and stabilization stuff that Buddy does with med balls and you get abdominal training, strength training, speed training, um, medicine ball throws, jumps. I mean, the whole kit and caboodle, really. You get to see him coach me directly. And it's been the you know, day, two days that I was out there. Um, 
I learned so much just from like body position and some of the mobility stuff, just the little kind of intricacies that 35 years of, you know, training athletes and having such a diverse understanding and background of knowledge kind of will, will get you. And, you know, we're sitting there, we're doing some um, what people would call like a classic or Mizey Air Squat. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And he's like critiquing my foot position and where my toes are and what part's flat and the hams. It, just, it was just crazy. Like I had never thought of it that way. And he's all these calisthenic and kind of like um, just basic balance and coordination moves that you would do just you know me thinking i'm a pretty decent athlete myself and then buddy comes in and he just absolutely rips me a new one essentially <laughs> how my movement patterns are and i was just like in awe like man wow that's that's insane you know what he was able to do so i would really encourage everybody to go check that out because like i said just i went back and obviously had access to the videos and just went over and over trying to kind of get my own motor movement patterns down and then for you know when i do do some coaching you know with working with I, I do a lot of it with younger athletes around the areas and everything like that people want some help and everything like that i'll go in and just kind of give them you know i guess the best way to put it is just like a consultant like hey this is what you should do this is what i should do and then you know the teacher teach a man the fish rather than catching the fish and give it to him type of thing so um yeah i would really encourage people to get a hold of that um that video course, the BioForce bio, bio course from uh, Joel, it's awesome. I mean, and, and then there's some lecture part of it that Buddy goes in the programming and um, explains the high-low and kind of like um, I explain some of the differences between, I'll just give you an example, like training the Seattle Seahawks versus training the Oregon Ducks. You know, you are not going to condition and physically prepare those two teams anywhere near the same because the Oregon Ducks are all about speed, 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 whereas the Seattle Seahawks are the typical West Coast team where they're going to run the ball anywhere between 18 and 25 times a game and play very hard-nosed, in-your-face defense. They're not going to, you know, Oregon's defense would be kind of like the bend-not-break type of deal where they're back off, not playing a lot of pressure, and just hoping to stop the team and just essentially outscore them. Yeah. <laughs> they want to they make it a track meet rather than a boxing match, I guess is the best way to put it. Well, it's, um, um, just sorry to interrupt you, but it's quite interesting that you've, you've touched on that because I, um, I've put up a couple of blogs in the, in the last week, um, and I'm, I'm trying to find a thread of consistency amongst all of it because it's just basically, I mean, the title of it is called Random Training Thoughts. And one of mm -hmm. the things that I've been thinking about is I got it from Ben Peterson who was at the mm -hmm. Central Virginia seminar and it was like, well, you know, we've got all these tests as, as coaches where it's possible for, for two athletes to score exactly the same mark on a test, but they can achieve it doing uh, or drawing on, on different systems and to different extents. Right. And the same is true of the, the tactical technical side in, in how players of the same position or different teams will approach the, the, the motor problem of, of trying to win a game. And, you know, if, if you could go into a little bit more detail about how, what's your process for discovering, you know, what, what kind of a team or athletes you've got and how do you then train according to those, to those uh, assessments? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Charlie Francis said it best. Um, You've got to use your eyes and your ears, <laughs> yeah. realistically. You, you, it doesn't matter how much data you put on a computer screen and all these fancy, you know, the tech with mega waves and GPS, all that stuff is extreme, extremely useful. But at the same time, I got to be out there watching the team every day before I can make an, you know, like an ultimate decision. But, um, yeah, if you look at those, we'll just keep those two teams. If you look at the way Oregon will try to score points on offense, they, you know, the famous snap the ball within 10 seconds. They are very spread out. Five wide receivers, four wide receivers. They want to get the ball on the perimeter and utilize their speed to score the touchdown, the motor problem, okay? Yep. With C Seattle, they keep everything within the box in football, which is, you know, the tackles, tackle width. They keep everything in there, and they try to, to make to move people 
with either zone schemes or various linemen, power blocking schemes, isolations, whatever, you know, the specific techniques and tactics is, but they want to power or muscle people out of the way to create lanes for the running back to gain the most yards and score a touchdown. So as physical preparation coaches, the way you develop their biomotor abilities, Seattle Seahawks versus Oregon Ducks, is going to be very different in my mind. I mean, so specifically, you can say, um, but what I will say is, so a lot of people, the way they look at things is they understand the general preparation, which like when we talked earlier, you know, the squat, the bench, the power clean, everything like that. And then they understand specific training, which is getting out to practice. What they don't understand is that bridge or the mesh in between. How are we going to have a nice, you know, ebb and flow transition to the specific training? So why, why that is so important is because it reduces the likelihood of the athlete getting hurt when they get out there on the field and start doing the full speed um, competitive exercise. And it's going to increase performance because they develop all of the physiological, morphological, biomechanical, biodynamic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, qualities and abilities that they need in their systems before they get out to the competitive exercise. So as a physical preparation coach, what you have to do is design the exercises and drills and everything like that that are going to prepare your athletes for what their competitive exercise is. That's kind of, in my mind, when you look at like some of the conjugate sequencing systems or the block training systems or any type of like progressive, I don't want to say progressive overload because people will think <laughs> just progression in general. Yeah, you have to go from anything that is extremely general, which would be it could be a push up or a bench press, to a running back taking his four steps and then cutting at a 45-degree angle through the A-gap and making a spin move to evade a defender. So yeah. you have to kind of find the bridge ground, or I'm sorry, the middle ground to bridge to those two things. So that is, in my mind, for a physical preparation coach, is by far the hardest um, problem to solve. And it was something that, you know, I when I was working with, the college athletes, it was the bit I was pulling my hair out and breaking computers and thinking like, how in the world am I going to do this? Because you have a hundred some athletes to, to get it done with. You only have an hour yeah, and you probably only have yourself as a coach. <laughs> so it's, it is quite the tall task, but I mean, there's a lot of different drills and also just the execution of an exercise or the drill that make them, you know, that middle ground. Like if we just want to use the terms from Anatoly Bonerchuk, you have the competitive exercise, specialized developmental, specialized preparatory, and general preparatory. And then there's a continuum that is not, there's no black and white between them. You know, people, like if you read Super Training, there's the fuzzy logic, and then, you know, there's like the gray areas and everything like that. There, there, that's the other thing that's what I'm kind of getting at that a lot of physical preparation coaches overlook just because they've never kind of been exposed to that information or that thought process is that they think, okay, there's strength and conditioning, physical preparations, just roaring and yelling and yep. banging your chest and trying to bench press as much weight as you can. And then there's conditioning and you're running until you puke and everything like that. And then, okay, let's ship them out. Now you're the um, the the sport coaches, and you guys are going to go practice. Yeah. Well, there's got to be something in between there, and you can't just have those two so far apart poles. You know, it shouldn't be polar like that to where you know there's you're not going to transition them. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with if you want to be the best physical preparation coach and serve your athletes the most justice and, you know, give them the skill set necessary to be as successful as they could be, heck, you gotta, you got to go out and figure out what you can do with them. So a lot of the times, I mean, you can, there's a lot of things. You just got to look at the, the three big things for me are bioenergetic demands, biomotor deba demands, and then the biodynamic um, demands. 
And if you look at that, you can design an exercise in that taxonomy from Bondarchuk of general preparatory, special preparatory, special developmental, and the competitive exercise. And that's essentially what I did. It's just like a, it's a deductive process and kind of like solving that problem in that way. And so that's kind of that following year when I stayed on in 2012, that's what I tried to do as much as I could, both with what I sent out to my guys in the summer and then when we got back in um, camp, is we did those special preparatory, specialized developmental exercises either out on the field at the beginning of practice, working with my head coach saying, hey, run these down at the beginning of a practice after our warm-up so that these guys are ready for the full-speed competition exercise so they're not getting hurt, they're not having injuries, everything like that. And if I remember correctly, I think we had one hamstring pull, one quad pull, and we had one, a kid fractures navicular bone, but, I mean, that was a contact, and that's going to happen in football. You, there's no, you yeah. know, no way around. A, a, I'm sorry, not contact, collision sport. That is football. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Same thing with rugby. It's a collision sport. I'd You're take those numbers. Pictures. I'd take those right, two exactly. strains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, and the thing of it is with that navicular fracture, he was so well prepared that when it happened, we were able to keep him going for the whole season by we take him over to a, a pool and we do some various exercises in the pool just to, like, keep his fitness up, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. I would have him run in place for five seconds and then recover for 30 seconds. And then I'd have him run for three seconds at like a higher intensity and recover for 40 seconds. Just alactic um, capacity work. And then you obviously, as the duration goes, if it's 20, 30, 40 minutes long, um, the aerobic capacity starts to play in a roll deck, which is exactly the type of bioenergetic demands that football requires yeah. so that's kind of you know again solving that problem all right well hey this guy's got a foot problem well, what the hell am i going to do okay well let's go shoot him in a pool there's no weight you know he's weightless it's not going to be weight bearing on his foot so it's not going to further injure it but i'm going to go get all those adaptations that i want to develop his demands and so that's kind of what we did with a lot of our guys that if they had the injury or just in general, as we were trying to bridge the gap between the general preparation and the special preparation, is we would design like a little drill for. I'm trying. Let me think. Like a, you know, like a medicine ball throw for a quarterback. We would take like a two or three pound medicine ball um, and have them do a special throw overhead. Just get a little more weight um, than what obviously like a football would be but the motions are the same, and so you're developing all that musculature, all the structures, and then obviously the bioenergetics and even the biodynamics that need developed. So um, we pretty much did that with all of our guys. You know, if it was doing a, a back pedal at, you know, even like tempo runs, we'd do slower, you know, 75% back pedal just to get those guys used to back pedaling um, for like our defensive backs and everything like that. We did, um, for like kickers and punters, we would use bands and have them do like a swing through. Um, slight, not exactly the same as what um, their kicking or punting technique would be. Because you, of course, don't, there's the other side of that. You don't want to mess with the technique yeah. by too far overloading um, that movement. But at the same time, you want to develop, you know, for kicking specifically, the hip flexor muscles and, you know, all that you know, area just to make sure that it's strengthened enough to be able to take the beating that is punting for 10 to 12 weeks or however long the season is and everything like that. So, or even like practice is realistically harder for kickers and punters than the actual game is. <laughs> yeah. If you have any, if most people that have a um, understanding of football, because in the game, a kicker can kick anywhere from, two to ten times depending on how many touchdowns are scored and extra points and a punter can can kick anywhere from zero to 12 times again depending on how well the offense is moving the ball so practice they have to do punts for the special teams team for coverages and then they the coaches of course want them oh we gotta practice we gotta practice we gotta practice yeah. i mean it was 
one of the pulls that we have was our kicker and our punter. And that, to me, is poor management by the coach responsible for him making him overload in terms of volume or intensity the amount of kicks he was doing in practice. To me, that's just ludicrous, and it makes no sense. You know, like yeah. why would you, why would you have a punter go out and kick the ball eighty times when he, like I said, he's going to have to probably punt on average four times a game. Yeah, and, it, and it's all elastic power for a punter, you know, or kicker. There's no you need a basic work capacity just so you can heat the motor neurons and stay potentiated for you know two to three hours. You know, the duration of a football game. But other than that, it's not like they're going to be out there going for five seconds, recovering for 40, going for five seconds, recovering for 30, get a five-minute break or whatever like another football athlete would. So. Fuck, those guys have got an easy career. You know, a million, right. a million bucks a year for four kicks a game for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Not a, not a bad gig, if you ask me. I, I wouldn't mind doing that. Yeah. So, so, yeah, but go ahead. So, I was just going to say, so if we just – just try and illustrate the the progressions that you've talked about for anyone who's who's listening and hasn't kind of thought in terms of that progression before. Um, mm-hmm. If we kind of take that that Oregon Mighty Ducks team and we say, well, you know, they're going to be uh, a real fast team out wide. That means that the the receivers are probably going to have to really specialize in in maximal velocity running mechanics and changes of direction at speed. Sure. Would, would I be right in thinking that in, in the general phases, it's just going to be that weight room stuff that people normally think where a strength and conditioning program ends. And then maybe you're going to yep. build on that with things like uh, medicine ball throws, specialized strength training drills and, and kind of tempo and, and um, sprint drills themselves into something like maximal velocity sprinting. And then you're going to be putting that into context in, in position specific drills uh, on the field. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways, you know, I probably had 10 to 20 different workouts running um, when I had my guys, excuse me, we, what I did was I would categorize them to where there was a level one through four, and level one was just so untrained that they were all in the same program, and yeah. they just needed basic, you know, strength training, jump training, med ball training, tempo training, general fitness training to get them any sort of develop. And then my level four guys were very high trained and they needed like a specialized program. And I essentially wrote them in an individualized program, would sit down and consult them and be like, hey, this is what you need to do. So in terms of the progression, like you were talking with wide receivers, they're at some point in the year, they may be only doing three or four lifts because they just don't need anything more. Um, so for instance, if we're going to look at like a CNS high day, their warmups probably going to last anywhere from 25 to 35 minutes because they have to be, you know, warmed, warmed, warmed up before they're going to go out and do any type of max velocity sprints. For sure, yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, I've seen buddy would not let his guys take sweats off like a, like a hoodie and sweatpants until about 15 minutes into the warmup. He would have like a specific point where, okay, you can take your sweats off because he wanted to make sure that he warmed those guys up if it was a cool enough day. Yeah. So um, you're going to do that. Next thing, probably going to hit some power speed drills, A skips, B skips, C skips, you know, forward or backward hip type of stuff. Get the hips rolling, knees rolling, um, ankles rolling, everything like that. Then depending on, I mean, there's so many, and I'm actually going to write an article for Joel's site about this there's so many different ways to piece all those components together in a workout depending on what you want to develop the most and what your ultimate goals are so if speed is the is the goal for the day you're going to do speed first there's no doubt about it so once you're warmed up you might do some warm-up jumps and some warm-up med ball throws but they're not developing ones and again with the gray areas like we were talking about and the fuzzy logic and everything like that there's a difference between a warm-up med ball throw and, like, a developing med ball throw. If you're warming up with a med ball, you're probably going to use, like, a three, four, five-pound med ball throw, and it's all about, like, the effort the athlete is putting in. You tell them, all right, hey, 60 70%, just get me out to this distance. You know, say for an overhead behind-the-back throw, your guy can throw, for simplicity's sake, he can throw 20 yards, all right? 
Yeah. You want 60 or 70%, he's going to be throwing anywhere between 12 and 14 yards. All right, that's his warm-up. It's just like a warm-up on a bench press. If you can th- bench 200 pounds and your warm-up is 50%, okay, you're going to do 100 pounds for whatever amount of reps. So you kind of get through that and you get to those max velocity sprints, right? But in order to do those max velocity sprints, the previous sprints you would have done is your acceleration sprints anywhere from essentially zero to 30 yards. Most people, I'm sorry, 30 meters if we're going to, you know, I don't like the imperial system as much as <laughs> most people do. You know, I prefer metric. It's a hell of a lot easier, especially if you're in science and chemistry and everything like that. You know, you're just like, damn it, why in the world was I taught this imperial system? It makes no sense when everything's in tens and hundreds in the metric system. But, hey, that's another rant. But, um, yeah. So you, you just want to make sure there's like a sequence. The sequencing is the most important to make sure, okay, hey, they, they got the start down. Now we can do the acceleration part. Now we're up to max velocity. So when you finally reach that max velocity in the training program, you may be only, like I said, doing three or four exercises in the weight room, and they're not going to be at developing percentages. They're going to be at maintenance percentages. So, for instance, at the beginning of the year, if you really, you know, it's cold out, um, and you can't go outside and sprint, and that's one thing that we've had to deal with, and just in general, it kind of makes sense. When it's winter, you're not going to really go out and look, at least in like you know my area, my climate, you're not going to go out and do sprints because the sprints are going to be terrible, and you don't have the facility necessary to do sprints, yeah. especially like what, what I was dealing with. So you're going to try and get some strength and power gains then. Yeah. So at that time, you're probably doing five to ten exercises all in a developing um, load. So, for instance, say with the squat, you're going to be doing somewhere between 70 to 80% and probably anywhere from 20 to 25 total reps to develop you know, strength and power in that musculature. When we're down and we're doing max velocity, we're probably only going to be doing 60 65% and maybe only 15 to 20 total reps just to kind of stimulate those motor units stimulate that muscles and that type of um, strength velocity curve and that's uh, or I'm sorry force velocity curve and that's all you need to do to kind of maintain your strength when you're war- when the developing part is velocity and that's what you want to do so hope I kind of answered that question as best as you could I'm like I got like all these figures and like you know boxes flying around in my brain It'd be yeah. easier if I just write it down and show everybody. Dude, but, it's, yeah. it's funny. You know, we do almost exactly the same with our guys during competition. Um, we we kind of term them position-specific exercises, but in terms of the, um, uh, the, the position-specific exercises, we try and program in terms of the characteristics of what they're doing most on the pitch. And then in terms of the strength work, we don't go over 60% we're in competition. And, right. um, you know, most people look at you like you're crazy when you suggest that, but... Uh, the, the, for me, the proof is in the pudding, and um, they, yeah. they definitely perform better when you do that rather than try and flog them during the season. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, I mean, you can, and you can hit, like, you know, there's, you can just take from all the different periodization schemes and, you know, just the empirics that coaches over the decades have used. Like, the one, of, one instance I think of is when uh, Ben Johnson bench-pressed however many kilos over what he was supposed to do before um, the Seoul um, Olympics and went out, and that's when he ran his 9.78. You know, he, like, benched 400 pounds or whatever it was. Yeah. And so you, you, you get that local stimulus that ends up potentiating and helping the, you know, potentiating the motor units throughout the entire body, or the CNS, I'm sorry, which gets to all the other, you know, the local and peripheral um, motor units, and so you go out and you get a better performance. So what I've done is with my, especially with my kicker and my punter, if it's an important game, you know, you have those games circled on your calendar at the end of the year, middle of the year, it doesn't matter where they fall. You're going to to look at the um, the cycle or your program and try and use you know one of those tools in your toolbox like that to get them to have their best performance. And if my memory serves me right, I did that both with my kicker and my punter that year, the, the year that, the full year I was there, and the one, our punter averaged like 45 or 50 yards a punt that game or something like that, which is like, 
his his yearly average was like 38. So oh, that's wow. a huge, you know what I mean? That's a huge increase for one game. And our kicker was putting it, was doing touchbacks the entire time, you know, off of, from the kickoff, which is both great things because you reduce the likelihood of the kick getting returned for a touchdown, and you save your guys running down there and having to do another collision every time you score a touchdown. So you know, it's a it's a win win in my mind. So, you know, there's all these different things that you can do when you're in the competition season to kind of do your, do your athletes the best justice and give them and get them to the point where they're best ready to prepare, or I'm sorry, to perform on game day. Um, really what I did is I let them, auto, depending on what guys it was, is I let them auto-regulate themselves. I would talk to them every day. I'd be like, all right, hey, you're feeling good? Go ahead and bump it up. That's fine. Like, it'll probably help you in the next couple of days of practice and then when you get to the game because if you're feeling that good maybe it's going to potentiate you somebody's feeling bad all right well hey let's back it down don't even do this exercise today let's just get you on the foam roller let's get you through a couple little circuits with some dumbbells get some blood flow and you need to get you know get rid of all the metabolites and all the junk that's been built up from the, you know, the muscle fibers getting destroyed on the game and all the collisions and everything like that so, I mean, it just, it just, the best way to put it, put it is it depends. You never know what's going to happen during the competitive season until it happens. You, you, it's just with that many athletes, that many differing fitness and ability levels, it's just a crapshoot. You really do not know until you can see them, listen to them, everything like that. Like the best thing I did, or I, I'm sorry, the best thing I found from just watching my guys. So in collegiate football, you play on a Saturday. We would have them come in on Sunday, and we would always do the same thing in terms of what I would do is I said, all right, hey, I want you guys to walk, jog, or run at your discretion for 10 minutes. And so we go around the gym, and the guys would, eat, would walk, jog, or run. And depending on what they did in terms of walking, jogging, or running, I knew what I needed to do on that day if I was going to go ahead and do some upper body weight stuff with them and maybe like a little abdominal and medicine ball um, fitness training um, or if I was just going to throw the foam rollers out go and do a little PNF on some of them and get them down to the athletic training room to let them do therapy so I mean if I saw them just all walking and they weren't very talkative and everything like that I'm like alright they're shot we need to, that's what we're going to do if they're kind of talkative and some of them are jogging and then they're just walking intermittently and then they're actually getting like a little tempo run speed. So I'm like, all right, all right, well, let's go ahead and get after it a little bit. Let's go down to a weight room. Let's throw 65, 70, 75% on the bench press or the floor press or whatever press movement they want to do. And then same thing with the row. And let's, let's, let's take advantage of this good, um, good fitness or preparedness. I mean, I'm sorry, readiness level would be at that point. So it just it really depends. You never know how the guys. And it all the, also depends on how the game was. If you had a game where your starters only had to play a half, and the JV guys got in the last half of the game, and you won the game forty-eight to nothing, well, you're probably going to have one of those to where you can go ahead and get more of a developmental workout the next day. But if it's where it was a grinder and the final score was twenty-one twenty and it went to overtime. Well, all right, you got to get some therapy and some recovery, re re regeneration in, in them. So, Mate, that is awesome. You know, I've got a full page of notes here in front of me. This, you know, you've got my, um, you've got my brain juices flowing. I've got, definitely got some ideas to take away, and I hope um, everyone else listening to this does as well. Where can people find you and, and get hold of the book and, and get hold of the course with Joel? So um, the course is available at, bioforceproject.com um, there's also a link from 8weeksout.com if you go to the store and scroll down and say video courses it'll take you to the link um, there's also a couple articles floating around there on 8 Weeks Out from Buddy and I that'll link you to the course if you're friends with me on Facebook Ryan Williams is my Facebook name I post links all the time for that um, the book is available on Amazon. It's called Ironworks Preparation. If you Google it, I'm sure it'll pop up. Or if you go on Amazon, type in Ironworks Preparation, you can get that. Also, still have the ebook available from Elite FTS 
called American Football Physical Preparation. Um, you can it's still up for purchase there. And then I do have my own website called WillPrepareFitness.com. It has links to um, some articles and some different blogs that I've done in the past. Also has um, a link. Uh, you in the store has my book American Football Pre Physical Preparation that you can purchase. And there's also links to the book uh, Elite FTS, the Ironworks book, and the American uh, Physical Preparation BioForce course. Um, videos that are available at uh, 8weeksdoubt.com too. Dude, I think that's everything. That is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, thank you so much for um, giving up your time to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Sure, Kier. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it too.